0: Welcome to Base Space, a crypto podcast. Base Space.
1: Brett and all the new listeners, uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, For those new to the Base Space, this is hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo. Chase Coins, and Super High. Uh, We focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. Today we'll be on there having Brett, president of FTX US. Welcome to the show, Brett. We're pumped to have you on, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, It's kind of tradition here, Brett. Every single time we have a new guest on the show, we always like to ask how they got into crypto. We're super interested in hearing your story.
2: Yeah, sure. So, let's see. Uh, So I started my career in the traditional proprietary trading space of finance. I worked at a trading firm called Jane Street or Jane Street Capital um, for about eight years out of school, Um, was primarily a software developer and then a manager of software developers. I worked on things like algorithmic trading systems, low latency order gateways, market data handlers, these kinds of things, and then managing software developers who did that. Um, And... While I was there towards, i say late 2017, uh, Jane Street started to get interested in doing crypto trading, uh, primarily arbitrage between exchanges and helped them build out some of the software then. But at the time I thought, this shit's crazy. The exchanges are terrible. There's no way this is lasting for more than like five months. Um, and and kind of left it alone. And at that time I left Jane Street to move to Chicago with my family and while I was at Jane Street, I overlapped for four years with Sam Bankman-Freed, who is the CEO of FTX. And uh, we worked together a bunch of stuff. He left, he started Alameda, eventually started FTX. I was at a different place. I was at a place called Citadel and looking to leave. And I kind of caught up with Sam every now and then over text and he was like, hey, you want to come over to FTX? And I had been following FTX in the news only and saw it like, yes, I- I'm coming. I-, I know very little about crypto. I have no idea really what FTX does, but I'm, I'm there. And that's how I got into crypto, really, is just by kind of joining up with the organization of FTX and helping build out the U.S. business. And then I just dove, you know, nose first into the deep end of crypto, whether it's, you know, the, all the, the blockchain integrations you've been doing or NFTs or NFT gaming, just kind of all over the map. And so it's been a really fun experience so far. That's awesome. And when you started at FTX, did you did
1: you actually have the title president, or like what was your what was your growth like at the company?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Sam hired me to basically like run the the U.S. business. the, the F- FTX US had been launched, you know, on a very small scale um, before I had joined, um, but with very few personnel in the U.S. Uh, and it was mostly kind of uh, decentralized, given that it was started during COVID um and you know sam certainly saw the potential i certainly saw the potential of trying to create a us regulated business across a number of different dimensions and needed someone to help kind of pull that together and that's sort of where i i fit into the picture
1: yeah and is your is your group was your group at all involved in like the uh, ftx super bowl ad or did you guys have any input on that oh
2: yeah um Yep, it was our group for sure. Uh, we we had done a number of different ads with um, the ad agency we worked with, and um, we knew we wanted to do something, and so we bought we bought the spot, and then got a couple of pitches for ideas. And um, one, the agency that we had worked with the most on, on actually with Tom Brady on the ads we did with him, you know, pitched this idea of the ad with Larry David, and then they went to Larry David's people and tried to convince them and he was totally into the idea and that's sort of how it came together
1: That's super cool man um to be involved in like that type of process and you know not many people consider they've been part of uh, a Super Bowl ad development so it's it's pretty cool and it was it was almost like the crypto bowl this year with with the amount of ads um you know that were happening in the space It's kind
2: of crazy Yeah now it, it was wild to be to be a part of it again. Like thinking about one to two years ago, being inside of like super secretive trading firms, you know, behind screens, like chasing after quarter ticks on stocks and things. And now it's like working with Larry David on Super Bowl. It's a different world. That's uh, pretty fun and exciting.
3: Yeah, I, I thought you guys did a really, really awesome job with with that ad. I thought that was really clever.
0: Um, oh, thanks. I, I'm
3: sh- Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure everyone that's tuning in live knows about FTX, but for maybe those that are listening on Spotify or YouTube in the future that may not know, could you just give us a a quick high level overview of what FTX is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So FTX uh, is what we refer to again, formally as like the total kind of global brand for all the different exchange and exchange services that we offer. So FTX was founded two and a half to three years ago, um, and it is a global cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency derivatives exchange. So primarily it was founded as a place for people to trade uh, derivative products like futures on cryptocurrencies, which not many people know this, but way more volume trades globally in crypto derivatives than in spot crypto, like crypto, you know, Bitcoin to USD, et cetera. Um, And it was founded primarily as an answer to other exchanges that were not doing as well in terms of things like liquidating customers inefficiently by sending large market orders into the book, or you know basically clawing away profits from customers and getting hacked and going down all the time. And so that's when Sam founded um, FTX. And then um, since then we've grown a lot and then we founded FTX US. FTX US has been around since late 2020 Um, At the beginning of 2021, we had something like 10,000 customers doing maybe a million dollars a day in spot volume. Um, At the end of 2021, we had something like 1.2 million customers with around $350 million a day in volume and have done a number of strategic acquisitions and uh, corporation forming since to launch other businesses. So we acquired a company called Ledger X, which has a uh, CFTC regulated derivatives venue where we're hoping to offer licensed derivatives in the U.S. for crypto. Um, we also launched a gaming unit where we have an NFT marketplace and looking to both grow the NFT marketplace itself, but also interact with game studios looking to interface with blockchain gaming and then a bunch of other businesses as well. And so that's kind of uh, kind of it in a nutshell.
3: Yeah, I love that. And you actually you touched on gaming. That was something I wanted to pick your brain about. Um, I'm just curious, like, you know, how does FTX foresee the union of crypto and gaming in the future?
2: Yeah, so to talk about gaming a little bit, so the the world of gaming already has a vast and growing economy where people spend upwards of two to three billion dollars a year on games. And I, I don't mean just buying the games, but on stuff inside of games like buying in-game items or, um, you know, purchasing in-game currency to use and things like that. Any of these kind of free-to-play but, you know, freemium games where you have to pay more inside the game to get more. Um, these are all marketplaces that usually exist only inside the walled gardens of games. Once you put your money in, it's very difficult to get stuff out of it. The only cases you see of this are what I like to call like a gray market for gaming items. So, you know, for example, you, you know, you level up a character in a game, and then you go on eBay and you sell the passwords to your leveled up character to someone else. That's not a very efficient market for transferring of goods between two people. Very difficult to get price discovery. Very difficult for people to see fair prices for things For people to get liquidity. And so what we strongly believe is that blockchain technology is a great application for, for games that want to be able to take their in-game economies and turn them into more structured uh, ecosystems that people can participate in, especially with more traditional financial tools. Um, I, I think there's some misconception that like blockchain gaming necessarily means play to earn. I think play to earn is like one very small part of the total story here. But just for all the cases in which people want to be able to put money in and invest in games, we think there's a big application here for NFT and blockchain technology. And so our goal as a company is to be able to provide the services for games to be able to link in blockchain technology without necessarily needing to become experts in it. So, you know, we handle the user onboarding, the blockchain integrations, the wallets, the crypto, and they take care of making a great game that, you know, we don't know how
3: to do that. So that's sort of the vision that we have there. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm actually curious, like, I'm sure you guys have done modeling and you have kind of looked at the total addressable market when it comes to um, blockchain and gaming, but I'm curious, like, do you do you think it's undervalued? Because from my perspective, um, you know, it seems with fungibility of in-game items and ultimately with, with the way crypto is, you can essentially gamify and monetize everything. And the way I kind of look at it is like, gaming could actually become like a massive employable industry. So I'm curious, do you view the gaming industry as kind of completely undervalued when you join this technology with gaming?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think that... You know, that like we haven't scratched the surface is what people like to say. It's like, I don't think we've taken out like the, the rock with which to scratch the surface yet. <laughs> we haven't even gotten started here. And I think that's because most game studios really don't know what they want yet. And they also are somewhat afraid to jump in because think how successful someone like Ubisoft or Activision Blizzard are right now. They have hundreds of millions of active users, right? Like way more than crypto exchanges have right now. If they piss off their user base by sort of approaching this the wrong way, either making it look like they're just going in for a cash grab, or you know, they don't they want to turn every game into work instead of being fun, and that's the perception, they're gonna get massive backlash and it's not worth it to them until they are sure that this is what they're gonna get into. I think once that first either medium size or large publisher gets over that hump and sets the precedent for this being the future of economizing games for those who want to participate in the economies of games like this, I think it's going to be massive. And that, and that's sort of the bet that we're placing
3: on all of this. Yeah. It, it, it almost kind of, it's like removing the the ball and chain around from the ankle like when it comes to the gaming industry, because you're breaking down these walled gardens, and you just have this massive interoperability and fungibility with everything. Um, you know, I, I'm sure most of us up here have probably spent untold amount of hours in video games during our childhood. And I wonder what it will look like in the future had we been able to monetize that and had we been able to kind of cash in on the time spent doing that. And Yeah, I mean, uh,
2: you think about how much time we spend on games, but also how much we care about if we're gonna have entertainment, people want more active forms of entertainment these days. Like I think people are passively taking in TV less and actively engaging in games more. It just seems to be the, the trend that we had. And also with social media, I think people want more you know, active experiences when they're doing what they wanna do on their free time. Um, but what blockchain technology seems to have enabled is sort of monetizing of people's attention um, and letting them sort of earn and invest from that attention that they're giving in. I mean, the, the simplest example of this is, you know, people watching ads on Brave and getting better attention token as a, as a reward. And I think if you sort of take that model and expand it into gains that people are already spending an enormous amount of time in, I think there's a very large, you know, potential monetary base there.
3: And I'm actually curious, like, what do you, how do you view this, um disrupting like traditional employment in in countries maybe that have had um, lower levels of employment or maybe lower levels of job opportunities due to just um, local infrastructure or connectivity or whatever it may be? Um, How do you kind of see this shaping emerging markets and other geographic regions of the world?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I I think mostly the answer is I don't know. You know, I, I think that Axie Infinity is clearly like, this very interesting case study for people to look at where people are able to earn more joining a guild in Axie than they are in many of the like, low-wage jobs they might otherwise have access to in, like, in real life, right? And there's a question of like, well, then is this the future of work? I- I'm not sure. I think probably this is a prototype of the future of work where there's a lot more work that can be digital it isn't necessarily playing games but there's more work that's sort of digital in the metaverse controlled by maybe token-based economies and blockchain-based economies than necessarily meaning that like you know one one tenth of the world's workforce is earning their income through games i I somehow don't see that being a, a large likelihood but i do see more people um I guess you know justifying some of the uses of their time spent on games by you know getting to earn a little bit as a result and i think that might be good for some of the younger generation to have that aspect i I, it's very difficult to tell
3: yeah And, and you maybe had kind of touched on this slightly earlier and i may have missed it but what what role will ftx be playing in this is it from like the user end uh side of facing things i know you had mentioned the nft marketplace but you guys are also going to be working with game developers to kind of provide that backend infrastructure to kind of connect these ecosystems together. Like what, what is that? Are you guys going to be playing both sides?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, as an example of the ideal role we might play is you go and sign up for a game, you type in your username and password. Um, you see the list of your items that you own, you see the store, you go and buy an NFT. Like maybe you have to hook up your bank account to deposit some money, and then you use that to, to buy an NFT. And then the game knows you own that NFT and awards you some sort of like power up based on NFT. So imagine that's like the user experience. In our ideal world, what's actually happening in the back end is when you type in your username and password, it's automatically creating an FTX account on the back end. When you go and hook up your account, your bank account, it's actually hooking up your bank account to FTX because we have the banking relationship, right? We have the blockchain connectivity for depositing crypto. So when you're depositing, you're actually depositing into your FTX wallet. You go and buy an NFT, that NFT is actually on an NFT marketplace on FTX. And when the game wants to know that you own that NFT, all it needs to do is issue a query to FTX to say, oh, this, this user actually does own this NFT. And so everything is white labeled. It's all services that are happening under the hood inside of the game, but it's completely powered by FTX technology. And and that's, that's kind of the experience that we're going for.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It seems like from a, uh, a non-native user in the crypto world, it's a very seamless experience in mind. Kind of, kind of side note, I'm just kind of curious before we kind of dive into FTX products, I think one thing that has like always stood out from me from FTX is your guys' ability to brand and just kind of really like be everywhere. So I'm just curious, like what what is FTX's like strategy when it comes to branding and being known in this new industry?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's something we get asked a lot because I think that FTX um, has done something pretty untraditional, which is to take a young company um, that's relatively obscure and go really fast on large scale marketing. And I don't mean things like buy all the ads on Google or pay the money to get us to be number one in the app store. We mean things like buy the naming rights to the Miami Heat arena or partner with Major League Baseball as the crypto sponsor of the league. And the philosophy behind this was something like, well, if you are someone like FTX or FTX US and you've only been around a year, you only have you know thousands of users and your biggest competitors have tens of millions of users, what do you do to establish yourself as a trusted brand? Because crypto is pretty noisy. There's a lot of exchanges that are going down or things that are getting hacked or people who are just you know doing scams. And not to say this is the majority of the industry. It's not, but it's the loudest part of the industry. It's the noisiest part. So if you wanna cut through the noise and show that you're trusted, well, how do you do it? And there's very few things you can really do to immediately get yourself in front of 100 million people in a way that signals the trust that other trusted institutions have put in you, then to partner with something like sports. You know, you can imagine the kind of due diligence that Major League Baseball had to do in order to get comfortable with us as a partner when they are this very big trusted institution. They've never worked with a crypto company before. And so there, by association, it sort of signals the trust to the ultimate end user and to the fan who sees us and now has this positive association is getting that impression all the time. And we think that has paid off massively and not necessarily in like number of users signed up as a result of seeing impression on TV, but more in terms of like establishing ourselves as this big presence. I think there's a lot of people in the U.S. who had never heard of FTX six months ago and probably would never have heard of FTX six months ago. Now I think a lot of people have heard of FTX, even if they're not users yet. And now that establishes our brand so we can start working on the product and the digital marketing and the flywheel that gets users in. And that's sort of the order that we're taking, which is pretty, I think, unconventional. But I think we're pretty pleased with the results so far.
0: Hey, Brett, uh, Super here. Just to thank you for that, by the way. Uh, just to kind of switch gears, talking about the FTX card, uh, I just had a few questions around that. Is it similar to the Celsius card in the sense like you spend on your card and it uses the interest that your assets accrue? Um, or do you have to have, like, stable sitting in an account? How does the, how does the card work?
2: Yeah, good question. So um, I will say first that we are working very hard on a number of different fronts with relation to payments and cards um so just like kind of hundred foot view before we kind of dive back into credit cards so a big goal for us this year and we have a team working on this exact front is establish many more banking relationships especially in non-usd related um, environments you know local rails in mexico local rails in Um, Nigeria, different places that we want to be able to have people able to deposit their local currency into establish those banking relationships. The same thing is true with credit cards. So we have an existing credit card product that we're sort of reworking from the ground up. We want to make it available globally. And primarily the way the card functions is as a debit card. So you have your crypto or your USD on the exchange. And what we want people to do is not need to move money back and forth between their FTX account and their bank account in order to be able to fund purchases in their normal life. And maybe there's some future world in which like everything is can be paid digitally. But right now we're in the world where if you walk into you know a like a Starbucks and you want to buy a coffee, like they're not accepting USDC directly. They want USD from a credit card or a debit card. So how do you do it? Well, the way that we do it on the back end is you basically select which coin you wanna pay with from your wallet. And then when you go and actually buy the coffee, we just do an instant conversion from that coin to the USD that the merchant wants, and then it charges it to the USD like a debit or credit purchase. Um, And you can choose which actual wallet it comes from. So if you have like some large amount of, I don't know, like Polygon's token in your FTX wallet, and you wanna use that to fund your coffee purchase, You can choose that at the time that you swipe, it'll just automatically convert. So not yet anything like a reward system or anything like that. We have a bunch of other ideas in the future, like being able to kind of earn cash back on purchases and having being able to automatically invest that cash back into like crypto or stocks or things like that. But that's sort of down the road.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. The cash back rewards would be really cool to see. Also, I think it's really noble. You guys are going for um, other countries as well, not just the U.S. So we're onboarding the world and s- rather than just the U.S. <coughs> um, on the FTX Pay side, I was curious, what range of businesses are you seeing integrate FTX Pay? Is it more of like Shopify stores or is it big name uh, brand retailers? Like I know you guys have some bigger partnerships, but um, is the, do you see the local Shopify stores getting integrated as well?
2: Uh, yeah, good question. So just, you know, for the listeners, the FTX Pay is our product that lets merchants basically put a button on their site and get paid in crypto through FTX. Actually, you can, can be paid in USD as well. Like we are a lower cost USD processor than Visa,
4: for example. Um,
2: but if you want to be paid in crypto, then through FTX Pay, you can either receive crypto directly, or if you don't want to receive crypto at the end of the day, you want people to just be able to pay in crypto. You know, let's say someone buys something in in Bitcoin again, we'll automatically convert that for you to USD and just send you USD to your account. Um, We're, we're, the adoption has been somewhat slow. We haven't really pushed the product a lot. Um, I would say the majority of use cases right now tend to be DeFi, actually places where you have something like, I don't know, um, uh, like Sushi Swap, wanting to let people fund their wallets within the Sushi Swap interface using their bank account, and Sushi Swap doesn't have that relationship, but we do. So they, you know, they have uh, their. You set up like let's say your MetaMask, and you connect it to Sushi Swap, and then you have a button that lets people take their USD from their bank account send it through and pay the external wallet, the non custodial wallet you're using with Sushi Swap, and then it's there. So we sort of act as like a, you know, a fiat rail for DeFi apps. That's one situation we're seeing people use FTX Pay. Um, but then we are starting to see more actual like brick and mortar merchants start to use this as well. So an example is, you know, we have this big relationship with Formula One now. Um, the Mercedes-AMG Formula One race team just integrated FTX Pay into their store. So you can buy, you know, the like Lewis Hamilton FTX Mercedes hat using, you know, Ether or Solana from your FTX wallet on the website. So it's kind of a mix all over the place, but it hasn't been had a huge adoption just yet. And I think it's, it's a product that we could probably do better to advertise more.
0: Yeah, no, that that's really cool. I mean... You guys are growing so fast and you know you can only do so much with so much time uh so i think time is really just the aspect on that i think it i think it will come um more on the derivative side i was curious from like a regulatory perspective how the process is for enabling options for crypto
2: yeah for sure so i mentioned this in the beginning of the of the space but we now own and operate this um cftc regulated crypto derivatives venue in the US, um, previously called LedgerX, and now it's called FTX US derivatives. Um, The one problem is that its license requires what's called full collateralization of the assets, which means if you want to buy one Bitcoin future or one Bitcoin option, you must put up one Bitcoin. Now, I don't know about you, but spending a Bitcoin to buy a Bitcoin future is not a very interesting thing for people to do. Normally people want to buy futures for capital efficiency. They wanna be able to you know, spend 30 to 40% of what the total amount would be for that future. Um, and that's what we call initial margin. And that's what people want to do to be able to kind of hedge with capital efficiency. So the biggest thing that we are working on now is an application with the CFTC to get approval for margin for our exchange and clearinghouse. And when that happens, then we can really do a big launch in the US for our derivatives products, starting with a cash settled Bitcoin and Ether future product. Um, But I think the next step would be an options product as well. So Bitcoin and Ether um, options puts and calls, just sort of vanilla, like a European exercise options, and it'll be interesting to see if that grows as a product. Options in general really don't trade much, which is a little bit surprising, although I have some theories behind it, but um, you know, mostly in terms of derivatives volume, it's mostly in futures, not in options, but it's definitely something that we want to support and plan to put work in once we get approval for margin.
0: Oh, okay, I see. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, and- so obviously each asset will have to go through like a screening process, right? So you're just starting off with a small few and then I guess uh, add as you go. That's exactly
2: right. You know, there's a product certification process with the CFDC and, you know, we have our priorities. We want to make sure we go in the right order and not, you know, overwhelm the regulatory agencies all at once with, with new proposals. We want to take it sort of one step
0: at a time. I see, I see. Um, and then I just have two more questions. One is, um, do you guys have like a parent company or do you guys fully own FTX? Like you're not owned by, like, uh, let's say Robinhood had, what was it, Citadel was there? The, the, like who they answer to. Basically what I'm asking is, is there any way for y'all to just halt trading or, you know, is there any way the users will get uh, affected by the company? Got it.
2: Uh, well, I guess so first, yeah, So I used to work at Citadel, so... I can say for sure that Citadel does not own Robinhood but I think I understand what you're saying which is that you know Robinhood sells the order flow on their app to a number of different um, liquidity providers Citadel Virtu G1S 2Sigma so there's like a list of people who are basically the liquidity providers for uh, for Robinhood and you know sort of without those liquidity providers it's like maybe not so clear how Robinhood makes money because they make their money from being paid for the order flow that they're sending. Um, FTX is not operated like that at all. We are an exchange. So we are an order book where people post bids and offers. Between any transactional you know, set of people, there's just the buyer, the seller, and FTX. All we do is match it up. We take these, whether people are buying or selling to each other, um, that's sort of it. So no, we're, we are not you know answerable to some set of liquidity providers, if that's what you mean. Um, FTX International is its own sort of corporate structure. Um, They're not owned by some other company. They are, you know, themselves, they have a lot of subsidiaries. FTX US similarly is its own sort of set of corporate entities and subsidiaries. FTX US owns and operates FTX US derivatives and a few other companies, but we're not, again, owned by anyone else.
0: Cool. Thank you thank you for going into that. Um, and then just my last question uh, is around data price feeds. I see back in July an article saying that you guys are providing pricing through the Python network. And uh, I was just curious if you're using them as your Oracle provider or if you're using Chainlink or uh, maybe just a different Oracle provider because um, I know that Python has had trouble in the past providing secure price feeds. So I was just curious on that.
2: Yeah, sure. So just a couple of things. So first, Pyth is a decentralized market data oracle that is on the Solana network. And the goal there is for Pyth to be able to provide prices for, um, for example, if a smart contract wants to be able to use the expiration price of Bitcoin and some Bitcoin you know, derivatives product, well, how do you get reliably get that? You, you ideally need some on-chain oracle for that to work, right? Ignoring that for a second, FTX is a centralized exchange, so except for deposits and withdrawals of crypto, you know, we're entirely, you know, a centralized platform where everything is occurring off-chain, so we control all of the market data, for example, in sort of a normal, like, Web2 fashion. If you want to hook up to FTX today and receive market data, it's completely free and available over WebSocket, so we're not going through a third party intermediary or an Oracle or a blockchain or anything like that. It's just standard WebSockets. Um, and through that, you can see the full order by order feed, every trade, every tick, just you know, for free through normal JSON over WebSockets API. Now, separately, we send market data to the Pyth Oracle as a, we're a member of a large network of providers who put market data through Pyth. And the point is, so eventually people on Solana can build up applications that use that market data, but that is not the primary way that people access FTX market data, if that makes sense. Hopefully that answers your question.
0: It, it did. And thank you for that. Sure. Um, I know Mewtwo had some questions, so I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to him, but thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for those questions, Super. I think it gave the audience a really good... Um, overview of some of the FTX products. So I appreciate you diving into that. Sure. Um, yeah, Brett. I also wanted to like kind of get your your opinion on like the Russia-Ukraine situation. Like I'm sure you've seen different narratives kind of floating around, like some positive, some negative for crypto. Like you know, out, obviously outside of FTX, like what's what's your like personal take on on what's going on currently in the in the world with crypto and in the, uh, the conflict that's happening.
2: Yeah, sure. I think, you know, I'll take your question to be asking specifically about crypto in relation to the conflict um, and not so much the conflict itself. I mean, my two words on the conflict itself is just like, it's terrible and, you know, war is terrible and really hope that this comes to, um, a, you know, a positive, peaceful conclusion soon for everyone involved. And um, as for discussing crypto specifically, I think I, I've mentioned this on on Twitter and and did like a small TV segment today about it too. But what what I am seeing in the media right now are sort of two narratives that are forming around crypto.
4: Um,
2: One is crypto could potentially be a tool for sanctioned individuals. For example, um, you know, people who are in high up in Russian government to be able to avoid sanctions. That's something I see a lot in news right now. I'm also seeing a lot of coverage on the power of cryptocurrency and being able to directly reach and fund relief organizations, for example, relating to Ukraine. And so I I think about these two situations and from where I sit, where I can see exactly what's going on in the exchange and I can sort of have a good observation of the flow of crypto and what people want to do and I know from this you know firsthand seat that okay, number one thing is speculation and it's it's wrong. I mean, we as a exchange have been filtering out and blocking sanctioned individuals since the inception. You know, as you can imagine, you know, criminals and people who are sanctioned will find try to find whatever ways they can to try to get around their sanctions. Um, and it's sort of the job of regulated money transmitters like FTX to be able to uphold AML requirements and to be able to take in sanction lists and make sure that we track crypto transactions through advanced tools like chain analysis and TRM. And we are very good at doing this. And we're in close contact with law enforcement and regulators all the time to make sure this continues to go well. So the addition of some individuals from Russia on the list doesn't really change that for us. It's sort of business as usual for us in terms of making sure that government sanctioned individuals, based on the laws of the local jurisdictions we operate in, aren't doing illicit activity. So that's like thing one. The thing two, though, on the direct payments to relief organizations, it's just a fact. Like it's an observable fact that tw- over $20 million worth of cryptos have flown into relief organizations, in some cases directly to Ukrainian government addresses. And I think this is wonderful. I mean, this is really illustrating the power of crypto in that. You know, people globally are able to immediately contribute to, you know, I think humanitarian aid in a case in which it's direly needed. And I think this is, you know, it, it's, it's sad this is the way that it's, that it's been inf- unfolding, but it is a proof to the power of decentralized currencies for this particular purpose. So I, I think it says a lot for the power of where crypto can head now. You know, and th- thinking about applications like global remittances, for example,
4: um, it-
2: it's very clear this is actually working, and that that to me is very exciting and very heartening to see. So that that's sort of like my long winded take on kind of what I'm seeing with relation to crypto and the situation right now in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, do you think do you think that there's anything else like we can do as a community to educate the general population on you know? Uh like what what exchanges like yourself are taking to you know adhere adhere to uh different sanctions because i think that um that's something that i get a lot asked a lot um from kind of like either like older family members and things like that um and it's hard to find like a good resource to like point them to and educate them um do you do you have any suggestions there
2: yeah i mean it's difficult to find good literature um you know, I think in many ways it's it's on us to educate people around us. And a lot of it has to do with like our online rhetoric. You know, I am a very big believer in DeFi and think that it's very important. But I also see a lot of very black and white thinking when it comes to things like DeFi, where it's like, if there is any intermediary whatsoever, if there is any authority that can have any control whatsoever, on crypto, then it sort of like taints and ruins the whole point of the organization. I think that's like very much not true. And I think that that sort of thinking is sort of like an own goal. Like we should see why it's so important to have intermediaries. Like on one hand, it's very important that, you know, globally sanctioned nations or individuals don't have access to be able to get around international sanctions. I think this is an important aspect of global diplomacy I think to throw it out the window is probably not the right thing um on the other hand you know i think it's very very important not to be you know get in the way and and block the ability of people to contribute to you know humanitarian aid for example um and then on i guess sort of a part 2b on that last point is well sometimes you need an organization with a banking relationship in order to actually make that happen like what if everyone contributed you know SPL tokens or something like that to an uh, an aid organization, but that organization can only take you know USD, and only with actual cold hard USD cash can they actually be effective. Well, who's going to actually do the conversion from crypto into fiat? It's got to be a centralized player with a banking relationship that has access to SWIFT. So without that, you know a lot of the end goal of some of the the. The purposes of crypto, like, you know, these sort of global remittance situations can't actually come to life. So I think we just as a community to understand that, like, there's a lot of nuance between the whole, like, not your keys, not your coin thinking and the reality on the ground, which is that, like, it's more complicated. And certainly we're better off in a decentralized world, but we need a few players still to be able to help make sure that the right things are ultimately happening.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I agree. I agree with that. Like, it's not like the banks are going to be going away like they have they have their role to play, uh, just as decentralization has its role to play in, in the culture. So I appreciate your perspective um, on the current situation. And uh, obviously, I, I hope for peace and uh, hope we can resolve it um, in, in that manner. Um Brett, we also have like a ton of listeners. I get questions all the time about for from people looking to get started in the crypto industry. Um, are you guys looking for talent at FTX? And um, as part two to that, is what do you guys look for in, in different in different candidates? You know, when you're hiring,
2: just maybe generally to to help people get started. Yeah, sure. Um, so yes, we're always looking for talent. Um, we do have a few hiring pages. Um, If you just Google search like lever FTX, L-E-V-E-R, lever is like a recruiting tool. Um, We have a number of open positions uh, that we recruit for and also have a place where people can like submit a resume if there's not something they immediately see. Um, I think in general, one thing that makes FTX pretty different from a lot of our um, adjacent um, competitors in the industry is that we are really small as a company. Um, We're about 200 people or so. for the entire company globally. And our, our philosophy there is to really find exceptional talent and always have people that are contributing individually, even if part of their job is some management, but we don't have like some deep multi-tiered bureaucracy of like, okay, well you manage this person who manages this person who manages this person who manages this programmer. And if you wanna get something done, you have to like run it up the chain you know, we think that the reason why we can be successful in this industry, which moves so fast is that we can move so fast too. And a lot of it has to do with being small and nimble and having everyone very close to the problems in the ground. So the kind of people we look for are, you know, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, people who are independent, people who really are bringing some specific skill um, to the problem set that we have and want to work insanely hard. And that's the kind of the, the, the general profile of people that we look for, but that's that could be pretty broad across a broad different skill sets. So I think that you know, if that's something that, that excites you and interests you, you should definitely check us out.
3: Yeah, that's that's pretty common, Chase. Yeah, uh, Brett, just kind of staying on the theme of just picking your brain across random topics. Um, you know, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges of scaling this industry from the first you know ten to hundred million people? Up, in, up into the first billion people.
2: Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, one is, sorry, I got some cats around me here. Um, uh, one is the, the whole kind of wallet infrastructure. You know, I think for a lot of people, the idea of, oh, you need to set up a MetaMask and then you need to, Put in a you know, random seed phrase. And oh, don't forget that seed phrase, so you'll never see your money again. And okay, this is Ether, which is a different token than Arbitrum, which is a different token than Polygon. And this is what gas fees are, just like the startup for getting into the world of DeFi. Let's assume you do more than just sort of like open a Coinbase account and you know, buy and sell crypto and hope that it goes up or down. Um there, there's a huge fixed cost of like learning and terminology and things that can go wrong. And it's not that I have a definitive answer to what to do there, but I think to onboard more people to crypto, we just need to have companies working on simplifying things. Um, That comes with the developer side too. Like, so I I personally do a lot of programming for FTX. Um, Like I wrote a fair amount of our NFT marketplace and doing some other stuff. And you'd be surprised how much code you have to write to like send an NFT on solana and i keep saying to myself like if this is how much it takes we're not going to end up with a thousand more apps that are doing this because it's like the the cost to entry is like a little bit too high um so anything that can help bring down the sort of knowledge barrier to entry i think will go a long way towards onboarding people i also think that while I think that the instant settlement irreversibility of blockchains is critical to why blockchains are great, I also think that there's some hazards there. Like, if you accidentally send, you know, your Solana tokens to, like, an ETH address or something, and then it just, like, disappears into into the vapor, and there goes someone's life savings, and it can't be reversed. I think, like, a lot of people would, like, rage quit blockchain forever if that happened to them once. And thinking about how we can encode in the infrastructure more, dealing with mistakes, I think is probably also a critical thing for onboarding more users onto the ecosystem.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it really is kind of a hazard right now. If you're a Web3 power user, there's just so many things over the years that people have just kind of grown used to uh, and know to look out for that are in no way, shape or form intuitive at all. Yeah, so, I, guess, yeah I, I think things there's...
2: online, like, you know, I, I follow a lot of people in the NFT community and who want to participate in drops. And they're like, oh, it's simple. You just have to create a burner phantom wallet for each drop. And already, like you said, four words in one six-word sentence that, like,
3: most people will never
2: understand for their whole life.
3: And it's like, this can't be
2: the long-term answer, you
3: know? No, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm curious, kind of, like, on the topic of NFTs, yeah. Um, you know, are there any specific areas within crypto industry that you know has your attention? Whether it's gamefi, DeFi, DAOs, or even yeah, the NFTs. I'm just curious, like in your own regard.
2: In, by, personally, my attention is is mostly on, I guess, the two I, th- I see as like extremes of regulated finance, and one is derivatives and crypto derivatives specifically, which definitely has my interest, um, and the other side of that is NFTs and all the applications with gaming and art and music. And um, I, I see, see it as like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Both very interesting to me.
3: Yeah. I, uh, I love that answer because I've had this conversation a few different times with people and it's always, it always seems that, you know, someone's career kind of like trickle trickles in on their interests in the background. So uh, I love that you said um, regulate DeFi products, you know, it's kind of like your go-to considering your history. Yeah, for sure. Um, last random question I had: What's what's the latest on your guys' effort on establishing a headquarters in the Bahamas?
2: Uh, it is. It's pretty well established now. Um, uh, there's a good amount of people down there um, between FTX and also the FTX Foundation. Um, recently announced the FTX Future Fund. I'm um, really exciting there. If you want to go look up more about what's going on there, um, but yeah, there's a good amount of people down there in the Bahamas now, and it's uh, it's a nice place to work, but also it's a, you know, it's a great regulatory environment for us um, that, you know, government of Bahamas really cares about good responsible crypto legislation. Um, FTX has put in a lot of investment into Bahamas, both on the sort of charitable and philanthropic side, but also on the kind of development side, real estate wise. So FTX is um, building out a big campus in the Bahamas for now. It's got, Um, a number of buildings in an office park and so it's it's grown quite a lot very quickly and it's it's a pretty nice place to work can't really complain you're walking outside and it's 80 degrees every day and you can always see the water um a little bit a little bit different than how things are in chicago right now but
3: i'm not complaining yeah absolutely i I probably should have been a little bit more specific but i was referring to the campus building i saw some of the renderings or drops um that you guys had put out and it looked like a it's going to be an absolute beautiful campus to, to work from so oh yeah i think awesome.
2: it, that'll probably take you know somewhere between one and two years to really build out that's a pretty pretty large project um but in the meantime there's some good spaces that we're occupying right now
1: yeah brett i'm also i'm also kind of curious like from like a regulatory standpoint um what, like what type of regulatory standards do you see getting implemented you know, over the next few years for exchanges um, and like, what do you think like the average, uh, you know, user should be looking out for?
2: Yeah, so I can speak mostly about the U.S., although there are similar conversations happening in other jurisdictions. Um, The biggest question that is going to involve us over the next like 12 to 24 months is who regulates spot cryptocurrency exchanges and how? and there's a number of implications for that particular question, but one of the most important things is on token listings. So FTX US is pretty conservative on what tokens we list, primarily because it's a gray area in terms of what's legal to actually list in the first place, um, all, in, all having to do with the definition of like what is a security and what's not, because you're not allowed to sell unregistered securities to unaccredited investors in the US. Um, so I think that the thing to look out for is whether there grows some sort of comprehensive crypto regulation or possibly legislation to bring that regulation in the U S such that there's more clarity over the spot exchanges. I think that would result in fairer and more expansive token listing standards. I think if we had that, it would be easier to get a spot ETF approved. So these are things that we're pushing very hard for in our, in, pretty constant communication with lawmakers and regulators about.
1: That's awesome. And is there,
2: is there any way for like the average,
1: you know, consumer to get involved in in lobbying or, you know, helping those
2: efforts? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I feel like there's not a ton of direct avenues for that right now, which is, I think shows that we're still a little bit behind as an organization, still sort of finding our footing. Um, I have seen, you know, things like a few political action committees trying to, you know, elect pro-crypto legislators and things like that. But as for getting involved in, like, kind of the weeds of the regulatory process, I think right now that's mostly on the industry front. Um, But I think that if you basically keep on top of any news coming out of either the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which currently regulates Bitcoin and Ether futures and options, or... The SEC, which primarily regulates securities and there's a question of like which token assets are considered securities and which aren't I think by paying attention to news from those two organizations you'll probably stay pretty up to date on what's going on in the public world of crypto
1: awesome appreciate it Brett I knew at the end of these episodes Brett we sometimes allow like audience members to come on are you cool with maybe answering like one or two questions from the audience
2: yeah, no doubt.
1: Hey, if anyone from the audience has questions, hit that request button. I'll let you guys on it uh, one at a time. We'll get we'll get through as many as we can, um, be considerate to Brett's time as well. Hey Canuck, how's it going, man?
0: Thank you still connecting.
1: Oh really? No worries. It says speaker in my screen.
3: Oh, huh. Yeah, you still connecting on mine. Uh, I'll
4: try
0: something else then. And you want to get stock tweets? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you again for your time, Brett.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Hey, what's
1: going on in stock? Hey guys, this has been uh, this has been awesome, spaces. Thank you very much for hosting. And uh, yeah, just to echo those sentiments, Brett, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Um, I just have a real quick question, and I'm curious, Brett. Uh, what's the last game that you have really like immersed yourself in, as far as uh, the gaming world is concerned?
2: Oh man, the last game. Okay, well, full disclosure that since becoming a parent, my like personal time on games has gone way down. Um, but my kid's time on games has gone way up. So mostly I've been watching him play uh, Pokemon, Legend of Arceus, and Breath of the Wild. Um, although I will occasionally take a bit of time to go back into like a SNES RPG, like Chrono Trigger and things like that.
3: Well, your son has an amazing taste in games, so you're definitely doing something right there.
2: <laughs> By the way, Twitch is awesome. Um, people might not realize this, but StockTwits... And FTX, our partners, StockTwits, um, Um, recently added crypto trading inside of StockTwits. That is a white label on top of FTX crypto. Um, They're awesome. Definitely go check them out.
1: Hey, much love, guys. Thank you very much for your time and uh, have a good night, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, StockTwits. All right, we'll let up, uh, see if we can get one or two more people. Hey, what's going on, Rage?
0: Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for the space.
1: Hey, Brett. Thank you. Um, I use FTX a lot. I recently switched a lot from Coinbase to FTX because I really like the uh, 8% yield and everything else. I just have a question. I don't know if this has been asked or discussed, but are you guys um, going to be doing uh, any kind of limit buy and sell orders? Um, kind of like what Cash App has for um, Bitcoin. That'd be super cool. Uh, and then also I was curious if you could talk about um I'm sure some of it's online, but just some of the ways you make money uh, off of that 8% yield uh, or off of the liquidity that I provide uh, like if I'm, uh,
2: for that from that 8%, what you guys are doing to make money on, on your end. Sure. Um, probably we'll only go into detail into the first one just because it's like time plus like getting deep in the weeds on that second one. But for the first one, um, so on the FTX app, it is sort of a simple buy sell flow. And the reason being that we want to keep the process as simple as possible for like the retail user. But we also have another app, which is FTX US Pro. And that is for people who understand things like limit orders and stop limit and stop loss and want to see the full order book. And for those that qualify use margin and things like that. Um, The only problem is right now that those are two separate accounts between the pro site and the pro app and the FTX app which was formerly known as Blockfolio. I know it's a little bit confusing. Um we are very close to merging all those accounts together. So soon with the account that you made on FTX app that you're using right now, you'll also be able to use FTX or FTX US Pro and from there you can do things like send limit orders and that's sort of how we're kind of keeping this split to like separate out kind of the first time casual you know, buy crypto once a month type of users versus the ones that are a little more advanced, more professional, want to understand things like limit buys, limit sells.
0: Thank,
1: thank you, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for that on the regular on the main app. Cool. Thanks for the question, Rage. Uh, Brett, you got time for one more? Or should we call I got, it? I have time
2: for one more, and I got to run.
1: All right, we'll squeak it in. What's going on, peace, love, crypto? Hey, how y'all doing? Yo, we're doing good, brother. You You
0: got two minutes, bro. (laughs) Thank you for for allowing me to... To be called up brett i've spent the last month and a half down in miami love this town saw what you guys did with the ftx arena wanted to see if you had any opinion on the miami coin situation and what's going on with uh with that and what it's going to what it's done for the community so far and if you guys are looking at that yeah good question you know I, we're not
2: actually too directly involved with miami coin um i, I so i can't speak to the specifics But I I will say that in general, I think that the the willingness of local politicians, for example, in Miami, Miami Miami-Dade, to start experimenting more with ways to use crypto to help enrich the community and bring more general investment and wealth sharing within the community, I think is really exciting. And so I, I don't know the specifics of like Miami coin, whether that's the answer or not, but I think that as a precedent for doing more innovative things from the governmental level, It makes me really excited. So that's sort of my my 40,000 foot view on that
0: situation. Awesome. Well, the mayor's been super exciting to watch, but thank you for your for your time and everything FTX is doing. And thank you guys for allowing me to speak. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on, Brett, and taking time out of your day to speak to us. We hope everyone stays based and have a great morning or great evening wherever you're at.
0: Based space.